Hello and welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Rames, and today we're talking to yet another esports agent. We had esports agent Travis Minard on the podcast a few weeks back, but we're getting even deeper into the agent conversation. You guys really liked that one. And our new guest today, Jerome Copez, uh, the CEO of Prodigy Agency, represents players like Zawu, Apex, Scream, Get Right, and RPK. He's primarily focused on CSGO, but the agency is also active in Rocket League and recently expanded to League of Legends. Jerome, thanks for joining the show. Thank you very much. Uh, that's a pleasure to be there, Mitch. And uh, yeah, really looking forward for, for this discussion. I'm excited to talk with you. It's fun to talk to esports player agents because it's really a growing sector and it's something agents play a really important role in esports. In 2019, your agency negotiated close to $10 million in total contracts, but agents often get a bad rep in media. I think people think of Jerry Maguire and the hot-headed agent who's not doesn't have the player's best interest in mind all the time. Why do players need to have agents? And especially in esports, why are agents playing a pretty crucial role these days? Yeah, so esports is still a growing industry, right? It has been growing really, really fast and maybe too fast in some uh, verticals. And most of the players right now in esports, they are very young and they don't have any business expertise. They don't have any negotiation skills. They don't really know what is... Uh, their best interest and they are mainly focusing on playing, 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 performing. And then we have seen many cases while the organization were basically taking advantage of that, having really blocking contracts and most of the players right now in esports, um, especially a few years ago, but it's still the case. The young players they just sign blindly. They don't even read the contract. They don't have any lawyers with them. They don't have an agent, most of them. And we have seen many many situations where um, the players have been blocked in really bad contracts and they just understood how bad it was only a few years later or uh, when they wanted to find a new team and so on. So right now it's very important because there are more and more money involved into this industry and the players um, sign really long contracts with huge salaries and conditions and so on. and. They need to be supporting on that just to be sure that they are doing the right choices, that they are not signing any blocking contracts and so on. So it is most needed right now, um, especially because esports players are usually very, very young. So they don't have any background on business and so on. Um, so, yeah, that's basically why it's needed. And we have seen many bad uh, situations with agents also in the past in esports because as I said it's a very new industry and many people are working there without any background themselves as agents so right now it needs to be let's say that it needs to be more professional from every angle from the teams from the players from the agents and so on right when you put a contract in front of a 16 year old and say hey I'm going to pay you 40 grand this year to play CSGO you're like great sure let's do that that sounds that sounds fantastic when in reality their market value may be much higher uh that contract may lock them in for a period of time they're not ready for and again it yeah it comes down to just hey how much do these kids know about the business sense how are they reading their contracts are they vetting their contracts appropriately and are esports organizations 
taking advantage of the young age of these players. There's more money in esports, certainly, but not enough that it's clearly the ecosystem has been completely fleshed out. Teams are really incentivized to have smaller contracts for players to allow them to enter one, another title or something like that. If you pay your, your CSGO players half, that means, hey, maybe I can get an Apex Legends team as well. So with all those different factors, especially looking at how many teams most esports organizations have, do you think it's more important for players to have an agent in esports than traditional sports world? Because in traditional sports, every player has an agent. It's a, it's a foregone conclusion. They have an agent. They're working closely with them. In esports, that isn't always true, or the agent might not be prioritizing the esports player. So do you think it's more important in esports to have an agent than in the traditional sports world at, at times? I mean, it's, I think it's basically the same. I mean, there is no professional athlete that is not supported by an agent or at least lawyers and so on. So I think it should be the same in esports right now. Um, like I said, especially because the players, they are usually very young and they don't know anything about business or, or contracts. Um, and especially because it's a growing industry. So sometimes there is no, let's say, standard in the contract. Um, there is no player association, or at least it's the very beginning of it. And it's really hard for the players to navigate in, into that. Um, so I think right now it's really needed in esports because it's growing really fast and we need to pave the way for the players. We need to put standards. We need to create some shame about um, how to support the players and how to improve the conditions and how it's done. So I would not say it's more important, but I would say it's basically the same. Many players right now, they still think that they don't need an agent. They don't need lawyers because it's okay. They, they can sign any contract, but they don't think about many things. Like, I don't know, many teams are still running um, their team under service agreement and not, and not proper employment agreement. And the players, they don't even know that they have to have their own company to invoice that and many young players they just invoice without knowing anything they don't pay taxes and so on which can be a disaster in the future right um so i would say that is it is most needed anyway definitely and you mentioned how quickly the esports world is changing we're seeing that happen right now with valorant coming out and a bunch of esports pros leaving it's a situation that would absolutely never happen in the traditional sports world. There's not a new sport that comes out and a bunch of NBA players retire and also a bunch of soccer players retire because they all want to play this new sport. As an agent, when a game like Valorant comes out and we're seeing Overwatch players move over there, we're seeing CS players, we're seeing Apex Legends players, we're seeing Fortnite players. It's basically if you're in an FPS or even a third-party uh, shooter, third-person shooter, you're looking at Valorant in some capacity. As an agent, how are you positioning your players for success when a new esport comes out and it seems poised to be a major player in the esports space? Again, very early days here. Uh, but how are you positioning players when a new esport comes out like that? I mean, it mainly depends on the profile of the players, right? Um, depends on where what state is their carry on the main game and so on. And if it would make sense to actually um, try the luck into a new game, 
Uh, for example, Valorant is very, very similar to Counter-Strike on the mechanic side and how you approach the game. Um, so it makes sense for CSGO players to at least try their luck into Valorant and see how it goes and see uh, if they can actually perform. Um, and depending on where they are in, into their career and the stage of their career, uh, it can make sense. I actually have few really known players on CSGO that are committing into Valorant right now because um, maybe it was not the, let's say, the right time for them into CSGO to bounce back while Valorant can offer a lot of opportunities. Um, many organizations will obviously want to jump all in into the game um, because it's backed by Riot and we expect a really huge ecosystem. Um, so it makes sense for some players to at least try and give the best. Um, so it mainly depends on the players. Um, some of them on CSGO, I told them that it's not the time for them. They still have a lot of things to do on CSGO. And the difference between a game like CSGO and Valorant is that CSGO is there since basically forever and um, it will last for sure. I'm sure that CSGO will still be there in the next five, 10 years while um, a new game, we never know how it will uh, be in the past. But that's a good point. I think the Valorant will last. I think the Valorant will last also. Um, I think Valorant will last, but you, you bring up a good point of the, you know, when leaving a scene like CSGO, one that's been an eSport from, from source days to for 20 years now, CS isn't going anywhere. If you're an Overwatch League pro, you might be seeing some cracks in the ecosystem and be like, okay, I feel incentivized to jump ship. It, it feels like, if, is Overwatch going to be a massive esport in five years? I don't think that's necessarily a given like it is with CSGO. I think Valorant's the same. So I think that is an important factor to look at as players move is, hey, which game am I leaving and how strong is the game I'm leaving? Because as a solid CSGO pro, leaving that scene does not come with any guarantees and could really be a negative for a lot of players. Yeah, that that's exactly the point. Like, if you are a top player on CS:GO right now, there is no no reason to leave that game. Like, it's at the top of esports since always, and it will remain there for sure. So, but it will make sense for some players maybe at their end of the career or that never had the chance to join a tier one, tier two team while they were really good for many reasons. So maybe it's better for them to try their luck on Valorant and build really strong teams since the very beginning of the team because right now the CSGO players, they have a huge advantage playing Valorant, right? Compared to Overwatch players, for example. Even if, mm -hmm. um, of course, former pro Overwatch players are also doing really, really well now. Um, but when you come from CSGO, you have a huge advantage, um, obviously. And so it makes sense for many players. Um, I mean, we have seen many players in the U.S., um, announcing that uh, they are going into Valorant. And it makes sense because maybe on CSGO, um, they will never have a really, really big opportunity that could put them on, I don't know, top five, top 10. While on Valorant, if they commit now with the right team, the right players and the right mindset, they could potentially be in the top five um, since the beginning of the game and they, they could capitalize on it for a few years. So it makes absolute sense for this kind of players while obviously the very best players on CSGO, they have no reason to switch um, into another game, which is 
uh, another topic for Overwatch, which is a little bit falling right now. So I think that many Overwatch players will seize the opportunity to um, go into Valorant and perform there. Uh, yeah, but it depends on the games. I'm really curious if these Overwatch players are going to be successful and if it's a case of, hey, I think I could be a great Valorant player or if it's more a case of, I need to jump ship out of the Overwatch League before this completely disintegrates. And I know you can't really talk yeah, about the yeah. failing nature of the Overwatch League. A combination of two, but uh, I think that many Overwatch players can be really good on the game, um, especially the it scan play, obviously. Um, yeah, guys like Sinatra that specialize in Tracer, who are just, yeah. you know, that's that's a that's a skill set, a very quick quick flex yeah. skill set that translates more naturally to Valorant, it definitely feels like. Yeah, I agree. Like, even a player like Dafran, uh, which was a former Overwatch League player um, for Atlanta right now, is playing Valorant with um, some of our players from CSGO. They are playing most of the tournaments together and he's really, really good in the game because he started since uh, day one um, and he learned all the mechanics of the games, the spells, um, the specifics of some characters, and he's really good at the game right now. Uh, even if maybe he doesn't have the same mechanics uh, on skill-wise than a Scream, for example, but he understands the games perfectly and um, he's really good at the game. So uh, I think the Overwatch players will be good on the game, but uh, still the CSGO players have some advantage on it, at the beginning at least. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious, I've also seen a lot of talk around Valorant about some of the contracts being handed out. And again, I'm aware that you can't talk about any of the individual deals happening. But have you seen the Valorant contracts be pretty competitive with other esports, even without a really a dedicated esports scene? We don't know what the full esports scene is going to look like. I think everyone assumes Riot Games is going to create a massive global structure, much like League of Legends. Uh, but I've seen people like Jason Lake and Monte Cristo say that Valorant contracts are already exceptionally high, even compared to other much more established esports. Is that something you're seeing as well? Yeah, for sure. But the thing is that Valorant is a very, very specific game. We don't have any vision of the competitive uh, landscape for now, but we all know for sure that Riot will probably build, build something um, really solid like they have done with League of Legends. But the thing is that for now, most of the contracts that we can negotiate on Valorant are also based on content creation. Um, like the hype around the game is really huge and some players have really exploded their numbers on, on Twitch, on YouTube. And that's something that the teams and the organization are really interested in because they want to build their audience and they don't want to miss the opportunity to build the audience around Valorant. And so if you recruit these kind of players that were already known on other games like CSGO, they have a huge audience, they have one, two, three million followers, and they are actually the best players on Valorant, then you have the opportunity to be the first one to pioneer the market and to position yourself as potentially the best organization on that game. So that's why the organization are willing to propose some um, yeah, really big offers for the players, which is and the same range as um, the best contract on CSGO, for example, uh, because there is a long-term goal behind that. They want to position themselves as 
the best team on Valorant, the best content team around Valorant, and um, you have few players that can achieve that basically. So you have to, yeah, to propose the right conditions because the demand is really huge and it's it's a market. So I mean, the more demands you have, it makes sense that the contracts are already, um, let's say, important on the on the numbers. Because all those organizations, they want to jump into Valorant. Maybe I think that the people think that why this organization are going all in already because we don't have ecosystem, we don't have um, a clear vision of the, the landscape, the future competitions. But all those organizations, they are basically in a race of being the first one, the biggest organization on Valorant and capitalize on it. Because if they miss it, that could be a really huge hit for them. So they have to grab the players that they feel can achieve that. I think a large, large part of it as well is the, the Fortnite case study of the organizations that got in there and created, got content creators, not pro players necessarily, but mm -hmm. got the content creators in Fortnite early really cashed in on the views and the engagement that that hype of Fortnite drove. And Valorant feels like the first game that really has it's pretty crazy momentum behind it since those those early days of Fortnite where everyone's talking about the same game everyone's looking forward to how it's going to go major tournaments are going to be watched by almost all of esports even though they're only being held online right now it's a it's an interesting time and with esports organizations they don't want to be caught out they don't want to fall behind at valorant seems unanimously agreed upon to be a pretty massive next esport so it's time hey we got to we got to lock up people now I think main, most of the critiques are that, hey, maybe these players aren't going to be the best at Valorant. And if you're going to be shelling out $200,000, $300,000 for a player, you should wait until they actually have a lot of Valorant success and they're not just a player coming sure. from another esport. But I think there's definitely arguments on both sides for what makes the most sense for an organization. You want to get the players early, but you also want to make sure that they can compete at a high level in this game for a few years at least. Yeah, I agree, I agree. But yeah, I mean, for me, it makes sense for an organization to pay this kind of salaries and numbers only if the player is actually capable of putting some content, um, like a huge streamer that can have a huge YouTube, then it makes sense to um, propose a really um, decent contract because you know that anyway, he was one of the best or very good player on CSGO, so he will be good on Valorant. Maybe he will not become the best player in the world, but at least he will be good. And on the other side, he's also um, in the capacity to promote the sponsors, to find new sponsors for the team, to bring some audience and value to the team, um, not only being uh, a player, right? So for me, in that way, it makes sense. Um, but I agree that signing a player just for the competitive aspect of Valorant right now, for me, it's a bit early. Yeah, until we have a, a true structure, it seems a little bit bold to be signing a player who doesn't produce a lot of content. So speaking of that side, as an agent, you have a bit of a dual responsibility. On one hand, you have the contracts, the negotiations, the players' esports, but then streaming is a whole nother situation. It's got a lot of different dynamics to go into it. It's usually not just the pure best players that are the most popular streams. Sometimes it is, 
but a lot of times it's the most engaging people. It's the most entertaining people. As an agent, how are you positioning your players stream-wise and helping work with them to make sure they're more marketable, to make sure they can grow their stream, grow their social followings? Because in many ways, that's where a lot of the money lies, it's where a lot of the brand sponsorships lie in esports and the gaming world is in the stream. So how are you working with your players to make sure that that side of their career is well fleshed out and they really understand best practices to build their brand on the streaming side? That's a very interesting topic because that's the main difference between full-time influencers and pro players is that the players usually, they don't really have that much time to dedicate to um, their brand, marketing, streaming, and so on. So that's also why I decided to step up and create an agency to help the players and to provide full suite of services because right now with Prodigy, um, obviously we are managing the career of the players. We are finding the best opportunities, negotiating the contract, validating the contract. But one of the main focus of Prodigy is um, exactly to work on the image and the marketing of the players, to market them, building their brand, um, guide them, manage their social media, their content, YouTube, stream, um, explain them how to market themselves and then find individual sponsors, revenue stream for them. But the main challenge is that depending on the games, but for games like CSGO, for example, some teams, they were on the road for 30 weeks in 2019. So you don't have that much space or time left to produce content. So we do everything for them. And the only thing that we can do is to stream or going to events. And when it comes to stream, I mean, it, it depends on the players and what they want to achieve. Um, as an agent myself, we represent the best players in the world. So the main focus is always the competition. Like they are the best players in the world. I want I want them to, to win tournaments. I want them to be competitive and um, always win. That's the main focus. But um, it's also important that we work on the marketing side, that we anticipate the future, we build their brand, their audience, then we can find new revenue streams and they can be more than just the best player in the world. They can be, um, they can have their own brand. They can have a legacy, and it's really important for us to create that. So it's, um, let's say, it's a collaboration and it's uh, an open discussion with them. Some of them they don't want to stream. We will never force a player to stream or to create content if he doesn't want to, right? And some players they are really willing to. They are really open to, and then they just ask us. Uh, what would be the best way to do it, um, how many times, how many hours I should dedicate to uh, streaming per month, uh, which kind of sponsors can we find if we stream, I don't know, 20, 30 hours per month and so on. And then if a player is willing to stream, then we create everything for him. Uh, we can work on the schedule. We do the YouTube videos around that. We do the branding, the overlays. Uh, we can create the concepts, the shout out for the brands and so on. But yeah, I would say that that is one of the biggest challenge we can have as a full suite of services agency, if I may, is that the players, they must focus on competition because this is why, this is what they are doing mainly. This is why they are pro players, right? It's mainly to focus on the game. Um, so that's a challenge, but um, we are working every day with the players that want to do it to um, ease their life and provide everything they need to just focus on the stream 
and then we create the content for them because they don't have the time to. So. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a tough balance because ultimately streaming again, people can totally grind. But I was talking to Travis a couple of weeks back on that podcast, and if people want to watch the highest level of competition, they tune into ESL, they tune into the LCS, they have that avenue to watch the best players play the best players when people tune into streams they really want some more personal connections which can be a little bit tough for professional players who are used to playing this game at the absolute highest level it's their job to play the game at the absolute highest level and on stream you need to be interacting with chat that maybe means taking your eye off the game for a bit something you would never do in a competitive environment you need to be reading donations uh you need to be maybe doing more memey things that you wouldn't be doing in a normal game and that's a really tough balance to strike for a professional player on one hand i need to be playing this game the best i need to be developing great habits to be the best at this game but streaming doesn't necessarily ask for that same skill set and to do both is something that very few esports players have ever been able to do no i agree they don't they don't have they don't all have what it needs to to be a let's say a successful streamer or content creator because it's very specific some of the players they are really shy or they don't know how to interact with um their fans and so on so um yeah it's it very depends on personality and so on but some of them are really re- are really used to it and they really enjoy it and some of them they don't feel comfortable doing it so they prefer just not to stream at all and uh, focusing on being a player yeah, definitely. When it comes to brand sponsorships, how much of that? I know you've no- negotiated a couple individual deals for players, which congratulations, because that's a rarity in esports. It might be a very common thing in the sports world, but individual brand deals are pretty few and far between. Usually players are sponsored by the sponsors of their organization. If you're if you're on Cloud9, your sponsors are all the Cloud9 sponsors. When it comes into creating individual player deals, what are the unique aspects that go into that? And how have you, found, how have you been successful connecting individual play, players to brands? Yeah, I, I come from a sport background. So I've been working Formula One, I've been working in sports. So um, I used to be a player myself also a long time ago, a pro player, but I've mainly been working in motorsports in sports. So when I turned back into esports to help the players, and I quickly seen that the players were not able to sign any sponsors. Um, the organization were doing nothing on building the brand of the players because they, are, they were mainly focusing on building their own brand, becoming um, the juggernaut of esports. Um, then I realized that it was an issue for the player on the long term. So I decided to um, do something about it. And right now, we are paving the way on how it's done for the sponsors of the players. Um, obviously, the main challenge is that the teams, they don't have that much revenue stream right now in esports. Um, sponsors are basically 80% of their revenue streams. So you can't, you can't really argue about that. And you can, um, you can ask to a team to open all the sponsors. And like you could have in sport, uh, in football, a team is sponsored by Nike and you can be sponsored by Adidas as a footballer. Uh, as a player but in esports it's really hard to justify that because if you remove the sponsors of the team you basically have nothing left or almost so it's something that must be done with due diligence with the teams and uh, we need to open 
let's say we need to open the door for individual sponsors and that's what we are doing right now with most of the teams um, as long as it's not in competition with their main sponsors obviously right now um, but there are still many things to do I mean the organization they don't have a sponsor in all the categories that you can think about so why would they block all the categories just in case they find a sponsor in the next six months or 12 years at the time being we can maybe find a sponsor for a player so um, right now I'm really working hard on that with most of the Tier 1 organizations to have this opportunity for the players because it's really important for them to have new revenue streams and um, financially it could be also a game changer and it allows the players to build their brand, their marketability around the brand when you represent a really big brand uh, as an ambassador. Um, that's obviously a huge hit for your image, for um, for everything needed for, for an athlete. So. That's what we do right now. Like you said, it's very new in esports, and most of the organization. When I started to discuss about that, they said, "Jerome, we never, we have never done that with a single player. So how can we do that?" So right now we are creating the process, the workflow to work with the teams, um, but to avoid the players getting blocked for everything because it makes no sense for me. Like the players should be able to represent brands as long as it's not in competition with the team and it's not. Um, hurting the image of the team or the player, of course. Um, well, and it's also, I, it's important for the... I will, I will not accept that the team is blocking everything right now um, because there are many, many opportunities to come. Um, I mean, influencer strategy is one of the most efficient marketing strategy that generate the most ROI for the brands right now. And esports players, the best players in the world, they are basically the main influencers for the gaming world or at least the esport world so it makes sense to use them as ambassador so right that's what that's what i was that's an important topic when you think about the teams that dominate the sports world you think about the players tied to them right you've got you know nobody cares really about the chicago bulls they care about michael jordan people don't care mm -hmm. as much about barcelona well barcelona might be a weird example because they just have so many superstars they've always had uh but the players are often who drives a team forward and brings in fans. And so, and you know, individual brand deals are a big part of that. Those players appearing on Wheaties boxes or on TV commercials is an important part of building up an individual brand. And in the sports world, the players are what drives sports fandom even more so in the social media age. And it's important for esports organizations to have their players be big individual brands and that comes with sponsored deals with brand deals i think it ultimately shines a good light back on the organization that says hey our players are so big that individual deals are getting done with them you know i think that's a i think it ultimately is a positive thing like you said unless it begins to uh, conflict with the ongoing sponsors if you've got your cloud nines and you've got a, a puma deal they probably can't sign a deal with Nike. That's just not going to, that conflict of interest is a little too, too great. But ultimately, I think these individual player brands are really important for esports continued growth. Ah, I absolutely agree. I think that's, that's really important. And even for the teams, the more, I mean, the more we develop the, the image and the, the notoriety of the players, then, um, sorry, I got to go. But yeah, the, the more it's, it allows the teams to also increase their own notoriety within the, within the esports ecosystem and the fans. So for me, it's, 
I mean, it, it's mandatory for the players now. Uh, I know that m many players are still blocked by the organization to find any sponsors and so on, but um, it has to change now and it's changing step by step, but it's really important. Yeah, absolutely. So the final thing I want to ask you about, I got to be conscious of your time here, is mm -hmm. the importance of third party representation in esports. And we've seen, especially in esports early days and still continuing today, Rekt Global recently announced that they've acquired a talent agency. And Rekt Global is the owner of, well, I believe it's Rogue and some of the Activision Blizzard franchise teams. And they've also hired a talent agency. So on one hand, they're representing players. On the other hand, they're the company that is supposed to be negotiating against in terms of player contracts. Why is it really important to have these third-party agencies that can actually look out for players and not have esports organizations? And this is something that's happened throughout esports past. An esports organization is also the player's representation. Where do those conflicts of interest lie? And why is it really important to have third-party agencies who are not beholden to an organization when you're entering these contract negotiations? I mean, for me, it makes sense. There is necessarily a conflict when the company are tied and they own an organization and they manage the player. I mean, for me, it makes no sense because you always want to the best thing for the player. You work with... Um, for the best interest for the players and so on. And at one point, I don't see a world where it could be possible in the end that it will always be conflictual in some ways um, to manage both sides. I mean, I don't understand how it could work efficiently, to be honest, because you always have a conflict of interest in that, into that, because you negotiate. I mean, you want the best for the player, but on the other side, the same company wants the best for the team. So... You have to find the common ground and I can imagine many conflictual situations where it can be resolved and the player will get stuck in the middle and he has nothing to say because anyway, his agent is tied to his team. So I don't understand how it can work, but that's a problem in esports right now. Many teams um, are still considering themselves as the management, the agent of the players. And the players, they are, I think they are still a little bit scared to say something, but it it's like, I don't know, I have many cases of big teams that say to the players, no, sorry, but you can't sign with Prodigy because we don't want to. And I mean, could you imagine the, I don't know, the Juventus the football club say to Cristiano Ronaldo, no, sorry, um, we don't want you to have an agent or lawyer to help you. <laughs> I don't know how it can work. It's basically impossible. But the thing is that it's really new in esports. So the teams, they know that. And the player sometimes they are in a situation where they don't want to fight with an organization. They don't want to um, have any argue with them. So they just say, oh, okay, um, so I will not have an agent if you want. So um, because they feel some pressure, but I don't understand how it's still possible for some organization to act this way. And it's still the case. And I can see it basically every day. Um, yeah, I, I don't really understand how they can do that. And I'm sure that it will change because it needs to, but... Um, I mean, it's again because esports is really a mature market. It's really new, and even myself, I'm only thirty. Uh, and many organizations, CEOs, and so on, they are really young. They don't have any, uh, let's say, sport background for most of them. They don't really know how to deal with that, and they are just trying to take advantage of the players. 
and they see the agent of the agency as a threat, while our main goal as an agency and myself as an agent is actually to facilitate the communication and the relationship between my players and their teams. My goal is that everything is going well between them, everyone is happy, and then they can perform, right? I have no interest to have any conflict between my players, myself, the team. So, but I think that many organizations are afraid of that and they just want to control the player as much as they can. So that's a problem. And now for agencies that are tied with teams or organization, I don't really know how it would work on the long term, right? Even with the best intentions, you always will have um, a conflict of interest um, at any time. So maybe it will work perfectly with a player for months or years, but I think that as soon as it's, let's say, a bit conflictual in the relationship, then you will have a problem because it's really hard to fix because if the agency is owned by the same group as the team, it has to be done really, really carefully um, for the interest of the player, right? Right. It's, I mean, yeah, the, it might be a great re relationship and mutually beneficial and the player enjoys, loves working for the org, but ultimately if their agent is tied to the organization they're playing for, they're never going to move them out of that organization. That's not going to be something on their radar and competition is crucial in determining a player's market worth. So just on that front alone is okay, yeah, we'll, we'll tie you to this organization. We'll pay you pretty decently. But you don't know what your market value is. You don't know what other organizations would be willing to pay you. And that talent agency is not going to be looking out for those opportunities necessarily. Also, to the point of individual brand sponsorships, they're probably not going to be looking for individual deals outside of the scope of what the organization is already partnered with. They're going to be looking for ways for you to do uh, the organization's existing partners, which is fine. It's something that every player should be doing. But when it comes to doing individual deals, they're ultimately still beholden to the overall organization, not the players themselves. I think that's the big difference between a third-party agent like yourself, where you're working for the player, you're trying to do what's ever best for the player, because your best interest is having the player be the most successful as possible. And that's not necessarily true for a talent agency that's owned by a team. That Their best interest is for the organization as a whole. At least it could be, because even if they are tied, uh, um, and it depends on how they run the agency, but it could be done properly, right? Even if they are tied, but it could be conflictual in some ways, I agree, um, especially on the sponsor side. I mean, there is no interest. But for me, an agency owned by the same group as a team is a conflict, yeah. Yes, but it's not that big as the teams that consider themselves as the agent of the players that they own, right? Um, that is the real problem for me, is that many teams, they are still considering themselves as the management of the player, even outside the context of the team. And they don't want them to have a lawyer. They don't want them to have a, uh, an agent. And they say, don't worry, we have lawyers that review the contract you can sign, which makes no sense because the lawyer is working for the team. That is the big problem in esports for me right now. And... Yeah, of course, agency tied to the same group as an organization and so on is a problem also, but it could be done, let's say, properly, at least, um, because the agency is still part of the agency and not the team directly, if you know what I mean. But 
in some ways it's still conflictual so yeah yeah it could be done above board for sure it just adds a lot of extra things to go into that that you have to worry yeah. if your agent is considering that the agent is not trying to piss off their bosses which is the overall organization while also trying to do right by the players just a tougher situation so i want to wrap up here uh but want to finish back we talked at the top that prodigy has recently expanded to league of legends that's a big expansion league of legends is you know the biggest esport in the world right up there with csgo where you guys are already very heavily in i know you made a, a new hire to do that i'm curious from your perspective for an agency that's been so developed in csgo uh, when you look at an open ecosystem like CSGO and then you get into League of Legends, what are the unique things that come with negotiating contracts when the ecosystem's open, when you can compete in a variety of tournaments, you can compete in Flashpoint, ESL, versus one that's completely in-house at Riot Games and is a very set structure for League of Legends esports? How does that change your job as an agent? I mean, the main difference for me between a game like League of Legends and CSGO is um, basically it's really open on CSGO. You don't have any free agency period. So many teams, they can change players just basically when they want so they can reach the player. Even if you have some rules about poaching and so on, but it's not really applied. Then many teams they just discuss with the players and so on. It's, it's, it's normal on CSGO almost, uh, which can be a problem, right? But you don't have any specific period, free agency period that uh, you know that you will be able to scoot and discuss with players. They will be open to options like on League of Legends. On CSGO, you don't really have access to the contracts of the players or at least uh, you don't know when uh, the contracts will end. You don't know um, the potential buyout. So the teams, they can do whatever they want on the buyout for uh, most of them, depending on the contracts. Um, also on CSGO, there is no proper structure for the contracts or there is no minimum let's say specifics for the contract so a contract from a team to another team can be totally different absolutely different which is uh, which can be a problem right um, especially for the players if they don't have an agent and they don't know how to read the contract um, but yeah I would say the main difference is that on League of Legends at least you have some kind of structure um, you know when you need to find a team for a player. You know um, how to do it properly. Um, you know how to anticipate the moves. While on CSGO, you are basically on urgency mode um, all year long. So I can have a discussion for a player or for a team every day of the year. So I'm always on urgency mode because one of my players can be benched at any time. Uh, one team can recruit one of my players at any time, which is not the case on League of Legends, right? Um, some teams can try some discussions, of course, but um, I think that um, the free agency period and being more structured is very different on League of Legends. Um, I think it's more sustainable, for sure. And CSGO is starting to go into that direction with um, ESL Pro League, Flashpoint, and so on. But it's still... I like to define CSGO as the far west sometimes because it really is uh, on that path, on the career for the players. So yeah, that's the main difference for me. Yeah, it's an important difference. And that structure is why I think we've seen so many people go to Valorant. Getting into League of Legends feels very safe from both mm -hmm. an organization perspective, from a player perspective. You feel pretty secure within that framework. And uh, 
you know, CS has been around for a long time. We all agree it's going to be here for quite a long time. But ultimately, with all the new leagues popping up, I mean, we saw the ESL Pro League change drastically. We saw Flashpoint be introduced. That was just a few months back, although it feels like two years ago. And those different leagues are changing very quickly. And with with Riot's esports structure, you know, it's not going to change super quickly. You sort of have some faith that hey, it's gonna they're going to create a structure. But it'll be interesting to see how that develops and how if that will also apply to Valorant because just because they did it once with League of Legends does not necessarily mean they can do it over and over and over again with other esports. I think people might be getting a little too ahead of themselves giving Riot all this credit. One esports league is not necessarily a guarantee that every esports league they create will be totally successful and totally sustainable long term. Yeah, true. And I, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that they don't know exactly what is their plan for Valorant. Right now, it's uh, they decided to go for an open ecosystem like on CS:GO for the beginning, and they, I think that they will just cut the best, um, the best format, and, and they will just try to um, check what is working the best for the game, and then they will try to apply their own rules. Um, but we all know that they have built a solid ground for League of Legends, so. I'm confident that they can do the same on Valorant. Maybe it will not be the exact same structure, but um, I'm sure that they can they can build something really really solid for the teams, for the players, for the global ecosystem, uh, which is not necessarily the case for CS:GO. Like many teams are struggling to find revenue streams. Um, it's uh, the the market is a little bit exploded right now on CS:GO. Um, Last year, you had so many events colliding. Like, I think you had the guys from Team Liquid taking the flight right after that final in the US to play their first match um, in Europe the day after, and they were not on time. These kind of crazy things that is not sustainable for the players, to be honest. So, yeah, at least I'm sure that Riot will be able to have more structure into their ecosystem right now. Absolutely. Well, hey, Jerome, thanks for joining the show. It was really great talking to you. Can you plug Prodigy Agency? Where can people follow you? Where can people look out for what you're doing? Uh, some of the great activations, the work you've done in the space. Plug your socials. Plug yeah, the work, sure. please. For sure. Now, for sure. So the main, the main way to follow us is on Twitter. So it's uh, uh, you just have to, to, to find Prodigy Agency GG, um, basically. Um, and our website for the g-agency.gg. Um, but yeah, you can pretty follow us on, on Twitter. That's the best way to, to check the actions and what we do with the players and so on. Absolutely. Yep. Follow Prodigy on Twitter. I'll link it down in the description of this podcast. Jerome, thank you for joining the show. It was great talking to you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah. I hope that uh, we can do that again because there are many things to discuss about the players. Once the Valorant esports structure is announced, it might be time to have you back on and we could talk about how that changes contract negotiations and uh, depending on what that structure looks like when they create a more clear view of it. I think that would be a great time to revisit the topic. Yeah, for sure it will, for sure. Thank you, Jerome. Great talking to you.